Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. I want to tell you a, a story that happened to me this morning. Um, it was like out of a dream. It was, it was really like out of a dream. My, my brother-in-law took me to this shul. I found out it's 99 years old. Now I've seen this shul from the outside, kind of like not quite boarded up, but it, it looks like it just locked, like not in use. Because whenever I see it, it's up here in the Catskill Mountains. It's just open during the summer. So I, I never saw it when it was open. And my brother-in-law over the last decade or, or, or so periodically has told me, wow, that shul, like, and, and again, you look at it, it looks like nothing from the outside. There are these huge stained glass windows in the shul, and the light comes off the lake and it reflects through these stained glass. You can't believe it. Anyway, this morning I had my first opportunity to walk into the shul and to daven in the shul. So we walked in. And it's, it's really magnificent. It's really something. Each one of these stained glass windows is for a different holiday. And over the Arna Kodesh, where, where they keep the, the Torah scrolls, the stained glass window over that is Shabbos, right? So that's, that's beautiful because that's kind of like what you're focused on. That's the center of everything. That's relevant all year round. So you've got Shabbos there and you've got the holidays surrounding you all around. And it was just really, really something. Anyway, um, and the chazan this morning like blew the clearest chauffeur blast. Uh, it was like, it was like Olympic level. You'd want, you'd want the gold medalist to sound like this. It was, it was, it was awesome. So as we were walking out, my brother-in-law said, hey, do you want to, do you want to look at the upstairs? So I was thinking, wow, you know, the downstairs is so beautiful. Let's take a look at the upstairs. And it's a pretty small place, okay? So we walk up the upstairs, and it's just a little balcony area overlooking overlooking the main shul. So there's nothing beyond that. It's just a balcony area. And, and it's a nice view of, again, the stained glass windows and everything like that. It's all very cozy, very quaint, beautiful. And the balcony area is empty, except there's one little girl there. And she's probably eight years old with blonde hair and she's standing all by herself and she's dressed very sneeously, eight years old. And the men below have just started doing the Daf Yomi Shir, right? That's the page of, page of Talmud um, a day program. And they're learning that downstairs. And so I'm kind of looking, I'm taking pictures and everything like that. And she, she whispers a question to me. And I had to come close to like hear her because she was speaking so quietly. And with the utmost seriousness and the utmost sincerity, almost with an urgency in her voice, a quiet urgency, she says to me, what are they learning? I, 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 I'm not understanding any of it. 
And I said, oh, that's the page of Talmud that they learn every day. She said, oh, it's Gemara. No wonder I don't understand it. And then she's, but she's listening like from the balcony, right? Like there's a story about Hillel, how Hillel couldn't afford the entrance fee into, into the base Medrash because they decided at that time in Jewish history that in order to get into where all the learning was going, they, they really wanted to make it very special and you had to really want it. So they decided to, to charge a fee at the door and there was a guard at the door. And Hillel couldn't afford it. So, so do you think, how, how does someone like Hillel become Hillel? right? He's one of the, the greatest figures in all of Jewish history. So he would climb onto the top of the roof and he would listen through the skylight. And one time they, they noticed that there wasn't enough light coming in. Like normally there's light coming through the skylight, but inside the base medrash, the, the house of learning where they were, no light was coming and they couldn't figure it out. And then they went up and they saw that there was snow on top of the roof and that basically Hillel was lying basically unconscious on top of the roof. And they took him down and they said, you know, if we knew that you wanted to learn this much, we would have. So they, 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 they let him in. They let him in. But this little girl who's like, standing on top, right, on the balcony, like listening below. It was like, I was thinking, it's like Hillel, you know? And then she said to me, I, 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 think, I, 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 I think I understood one of the words. And I just said to her very quietly, just try to understand one thing. If you can just understand one thing and remember it, then that's going to be really good. And she looked at me and her eyes widened. And she said, thank you for telling me that. And I was so moved. <laughs> I can't, I can't even tell you, you know, the, the utter, the utter sincerity. And you could see like her, the entirety, the entirety of herself was investing in wanting to learn Torah. So, so with that in mind, with that as an introduction, I want to continue a subject that we've been privileged to learn from Rav Frimmer, from the Eretz from, And now we're going to get another, another facet of it. This is, you know, really one of the great topics in, in human nature, in trying to understand the human condition, which is the relationship between the heart and the mind. As I think all of you know, this is really kind of one of the, one of the problems with kind of just being a person. How many of us want to do the right thing? And we find that we're just not doing the right thing. We want to do the right thing, and somehow it just doesn't turn out right. That's, that's, that is emblematic of the heart and the mind not being together. Right? Like we know the right thing, but we're not doing the right thing. Or 
or we feel it in our heart. But somehow, somehow again, we can't quite get it together. Okay, so we're going to get another bit of advice, another holy bit of advice from from Rav Frummer, from the Eretz Tzvi, how, how to address this issue and, and, and why this problem is taking place to begin with. And, you know, we have, we have between the understanding, the interrelationship between the heart and the mind, the mind and the heart, we have your classic chicken and the egg situation. So, you know, the famous question is, just to review it, I know you all know it, but let's review it. What came first, the chicken or the egg? All right, probably you haven't heard anyone talk it through from beginning to end for a while. It's just a catchphrase thing. Oh yeah, it's a chicken and the egg thing. But let's just remember, what is a chicken and the egg thing? Okay, let's just review it for a moment. Okay, if you say the chicken came first, then where did the chicken come from? The chicken has to come from an egg, right? But if you say the egg came first, who laid the egg? <laughs> it has to have been a chicken. So if you say it's a chicken, well, the chicken has to come from an egg. But if you say the egg came first, well, the egg had to come from a chicken. So which came first, the chicken or the egg? You understand? Okay. It's a problem. So we have the same type of dynamic in terms of the heart and the mind. The question is, who's running the show? Is the heart running the show? Or is the mind running the show? So, what I'd like to suggest, you know, having studied this topic for a while, and from a lot of different directions, I'd like to suggest the following. That deep, deep down, the heart is running the show. All right? But there's going to be an important PS here. But once the heart runs the show, the mind is now in charge and the mind can redirect the heart. And we'll go into that in a little bit more detail. In other words, you start a little bit with chaos, and then the mind is capable of implementing order on the chaos. But the beginning point is the heart. So, so a lot of times, a person has a thought, and where does that thought come from? That thought comes from the heart. How you feel about something is the way you think about something, right? Sometimes we, talk, we, we, we use different fancy words for it in terms of, um, you know, like in current events, we'll say, oh, he has a bias. Well, what is a bias? A bias means that the heart feels a certain way, and that, influence, that influences the way the mind processes the information. Okay? So... So, you know, there's some people in your life that they can just mess up a thousand times, but you love the guy. You can't help loving the guy. 
You can't stop messing up. You can't stop loving him. You know why? Because your heart loves him. Your heart loves him, and the heart influences the mind. So the mind gives him a benefit, the benefit of the doubt. Now let's do the let's do the opposite version. There's someone who, you know what? It just whatever they do, they can never make you happy. <laughs> or maybe maybe you should you should fill in the thought with you. You're in a relationship with someone else where with whatever you do, you can't make them happy. I think maybe that might be a more relatable example, right? You can't do anything right. You know why? Because the, the heart of that other person's not on board with you. That, that, that's the thing. That's the thing. Okay. So that's an example of how the heart influences the mind. And I'll give you, I'll give you a Torah example of it, Okay. Um, it says, Rashi says, that when the spies went out to spy out the land of Israel, they brought back a bad report to the people. And Rashi says something very, very dramatic, which is that the spies knew what they were going to say, meaning that they were going to bring back a bad report before they even saw the land. In other words, they had a bias in their heart, and that bias was already influencing the way they were going to cognitively think about and process what they were going to see. And by the way, let me just add a little bit to that, because this is a very interesting idea, just a little bit off to the side, but just to try to understand the spies, because this is a big, this is a big mystery. How, why the spies would have done that. And there are different explanations that are given, but this one I think is very interesting and less discussed by people. That is that, um, you see, in the Torah itself, it says that the spies were all tzaddikim. They were all holy people, super holy people, heads of tribes, holy people. And in fact, I believe Yehoshua, Joshua, who becomes Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses' successor, Right, the next leader of all of Israel at the you know the pinnacle of of all the miracles and all the rest. Um, actually, an interesting trivia question: There are only two people who saw the first tablets before they were smashed. One we know is Moshe. Who was the other? And the answer is Yehoshua, Joshua. Okay. Anyway, Joshua is listed, I believe, number fifth on the list of the tzaddikim, of the spies who were sent into Israel. And they say that they were listed in order of holiness. Now, can you even name the first four? Can you even name the, the next five? I mean, to think that Yehoshua, who becomes the leader of Israel, is like in the middle of this list of tzaddikim. So again, to show you how holy they were. So now the question is, the first step that they take toward Israel they're far away from Israel. The first step that they take for Israel, they already know that they're going to give a negative report. How did that happen? How did, it, how did they go from tzaddikim to like basically agencies of like total disaster? How did this happen? How is it possible? And how did it happen so quickly? So, so interestingly, what, what I, I believe it's the more of a shemesh, um, maybe it's a chudush I'm not sure, 
But but what what one of the others says is is that that the people themselves had reasons why they didn't want to go into Israel, the the, the general populace, and the, the the basic reason that's given is that they were living in this miraculous lifestyle, and they knew when they entered into the land of Israel that they were going to have to till the land and farm and you know basically live a non-miraculous lifestyle. And this miraculous lifestyle with Moshe Rabbeinu as their teacher and being able to just concentrate on this, you know, exalted things and their relationship with God in this incredibly pure, unadulterated way, not influenced by, you know, the, the nine to five uh, work clock, like it was too appealing. So, so they, didn't, they didn't want their situation changed. Now, once these spies, these spies were their shluchim and a shaliach, a messenger takes on the role of the person who sends them. And since the people sending the spies had altered intentions that they didn't want to go, as soon as the spies themselves officially started their job and officially became extensions of the people, these tzaddikim fell to a low place. And, and that's how to explain that change, how rapid that change was. Very interesting. But nonetheless, getting back to the topic, what we have here is the notion that the heart tells the mind what to think. The heart tells the mind how to process information. And I'll give you one more example, which um, I see all the time in the, in, in the journalist world, which is that Journalists typically, they, they think of a topic, they, they get it approved by their, their editor, and they already know what they're going to write. And then they interview people. But they interview people not to do genuine research to find out what is the nature of this topic, this interesting thing, let me do some research and reach a conclusion. That's most of the time not what happens with journalists. They already have their conclusion, and what they do is they interview people just to get sound bites, just to get quotes to support the thesis that they already have in mind to begin with. So again, the idea that the conclusion has already been reached before the mind has a chance to really research and process it. Okay, so now hopefully I've laid out clearly how a lot of the times when you think you're thinking clearly about something, really you're just mimicking the way you feel about the subject. In other words, the heart has told your mind how to approach the subject already. Okay. So now, what about the other version? What about the version where the mind has the ability to control the heart? And that's really where we, where we begin with Parsha's Shoftim. It says, Shoftim v'shotrim titen lecha. And that's translated as judges and officers you should appoint at your gates. Okay? So on the here and now level, it means exactly what it says it means. It means that you need a, um, you know, you need a, criminal, you need a criminal justice system. You need a, a system of justice, which means that you need, um, you need judges, and you need p- 
people to implement the law. Those are going to be police officers and, 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 and court systems and things like that. By the way, one of the breakthrough shows on television, they're always trying to come up with new formats, right? Well, they came up, you know, they, they had like law shows, right? Like lots of law shows, just court case shows. L.A. Law, back in the day, that was a really big one. Then you had police shows, right? Just CSI, that's a, that's a huge thing. Then someone brilliant came up with an idea. They said, wait a second. What if we tracked a show from the time the police solve the case and then we do part two, how that case is processed in the courts? And they called it law and order. The first part would be the police catching the bad guy. The second part would be let's watch them being prosecuted in the justice system. They found a way, I'm in television, so I find this fascinating. They found a way to combine the best of law shows and the best of courtroom shows, right? Police shows. And they made it all into one. So anyway, suffice it to say, it has made billions of dollars. <laughs> you know, I, I was talking to someone from the Henson Company, the Jim Henson Company, and they, they were telling me about this new project that they had. And they said, it's called Dinosaur Train. You know why? Someone came to us and they said, kids love dinosaurs, kids love trains. Here's our show, Dinosaur Train. It sounds too easy. Huge hit has run for years and years and years and years. So anyway, I just, just sort of a, a peek behind uh, television show creation, right? Just take two winners, find a way to combine them, and there you go. You can... You want to give me a percentage of your billion dollars? I'd, I'd be very appreciative. Um, anyway, so shoftim v'shotrim, judges and enforcers. So again, on the simplest level, you need a criminal justice system. And by the way, that is one of the Sheva mitzvahs b'nei Noach. That's, as everybody knows, God made the entire world out of the Torah, right? The Torah preceded creation. God makes the world out of the Torah. And therefore, the Torah, by necessity, has to apply to everyone in the world, Jews and non-Jews alike. It can't just be that Jews have mitzvahs. Everyone in the world has to have mitzvahs if the whole world is made out of mitzvahs, right? Which is very logical. And in fact, that's the case. Um, all, all Jews have the, the, the mitzvahs in the Torah, but the non-Jewish world also has the seven universal laws. And one of the seven universal laws is to set up a court system, a criminal justice system. So everyone should know that. But anyway, all the Rebbes say that these parshas that we're learning, these portions from the Torah that we're learning leading up to Rosh Hashanah, and Rosh Hashanah is in another three weeks, Three weeks to Rosh Hashanah. Um, all of these are really dealing with the subject of like refining ourselves and getting ourselves together in anticipation of Rosh Hashanah. So now, how do you understand this idea of shotrim, shoftim, v'shotrim? How do you understand it in that context? And the answer is, shoftim, the judges, that's your brain, that's your mind. Shotrim, the guards, that's your heart and the limbs of your body. Okay, so now let's, let's kind of 
Let's kind of work that out based on everything we've been saying up until now. So shoftim is the mind. That's the mind has to reach a decision. The mind then sends that information to the heart, and the heart then sends that information to the limbs to implement this idea and to put it into action. And as I believe we said last week, if you want to know, there's a simple test, if you want to know, are your mind and your heart together? And the answer is, are you doing it? Right? Because classic example, you know intellectually smoking is bad for you, but you're smoking. Why are you smoking? The answer is, is because that information is just in your mind. It's not in your heart. And the proof is, if it was in your heart, then you wouldn't be smoking. Exercise. I know exercise in my head. I can tell you exercise 100%. It's absolutely essential. But does my heart know it? If I'm not exercising, it means I can know it all that I like all day long. But if my if it's if it's not in my heart, I'm not doing it. So the mind and the heart aren't together. Okay, and we talked about why the mind and the heart are distanced from each other. And let's just review that quickly before we we go to how the mind can control the heart, because that's really our subject for today. Um and the answer is, is because around the heart, you have this blockage called the orla. Men and women, everyone has this blockage around their heart, this fatty layer, whatever it is. It's just this blockage around the heart. And, and a lot of people just think of their heart and this blockage around the heart. But what I want to do is give you another visual, okay, which is let's situate the mind above and then you've got the heart below, and then you've got this barrier around the heart. So in other words, what's stopping the mind and the heart from getting together? There's a blockage in between, you see? That's the barrier around the heart. And we talked about how tears, tears are one of the great, great, like, devices of just getting rid of the orla around the heart just melts the orla around the heart. It just zaps it, right? Or if you want to think of it another way, like there's a drain, there's a pipe connecting the, the brain and the heart, and it's all clogged up. And Drano, the best Drano in the world, <laughs> if you want to unclog the pipes, those are tears. It just kind of gets the mind down to the heart. Okay. But now we're going to find out something else. You see, shoftim v'shotrim, judges and guards, right? So the judge is your mind, the guard is your heart, and the guard communicates the information to your limbs, and then you implement it, and then the mind and the heart are together. But do you know how many societies there are where the police department doesn't listen to the judges? <laughs> that kind of funny? It's not funny, unfortunately. It's a lot of corruption. A lot of corruption. And the judge tells the, the people this is the law, and the police say, you know what, thank you very much, but 
we're in charge. And so you have this big separation between the mind and the heart, where the heart just decides that it's in charge and it's going to do its thing. So a lot of societies like that. The police are not listening to the judges. We want the judges and the police on the same bowl, on the same on the same page. We want the mind and the heart and the implementation all to be consistent, all to be one. Okay, but how do you do it? How do you do it when the heart and the mind are so far apart? And I'm sure you've all heard the phrase, the very deep phrase, that the furthest distance in the entire universe is between the mind and the heart. So how do you get it together when they're so far apart and there's this big wall around the heart anyway? And let me just make the visual even stronger, okay? You know, the eyes are connected to the brain. Anatomically speaking, you have the optic nerve. The optic nerves are behind the eyeballs and they plug into the brain, okay? So the brain has like this window into the world. Like, you know, all the light from the outside world kind of goes through the eyes right into the brain. The brain kind of is seeing the world. The heart is kind of trapped in this kind of inside this cavity inside your chest. It's got no window into the world, right? And it's just kind of swimming around in your blood. So it's sort of like you've got the, 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 the brain is kind of like the damsel at the top of the tower who can like look out onto the world and the heart is like in the dungeon. It's getting no light. So, so how are the mind and the heart going to get it together? Okay, so now Rav Frimmer is going to give us some very, very holy advice. You ready? And the answer is he's going to give us a big segula. So a segula is kind of like a, like a, like a, a holy, almost supernatural way of, of getting a cure or getting a prayer answered. Okay? And there's so many segulas in the world, right? So here's a very amazing segula. He says the segula for getting the heart and the mind together is Torah study. Now, let's, let's work that out. Let's figure out how that works exactly. You see, there are subjects, imagine you've got like a, you've rented out a small theater, okay? And there's certain, there's certain subject matter that if that's the subject of the play, the heart is running to grab a front row seat. I got to see this. I am, I am not missing this. <laughs> the closer I can get, the better. That's the heart. There are other topics where the heart has no interest whatsoever, but the mind was like, get out of the way. <laughs> front row seat. I want a front row seat for this. That's, that's the mind. The mind is interested. So... So the, the heart and the mind interested in two different things. But are you ready for this? Torah, Torah is something that the heart is running to and that the mind is running to. Did you hear that? Torah 
is something that the heart is running to and that the mind is running to. And now listen, now we're ready for step two. That's step one. The sagula for getting the heart and the mind together is Torah study because the heart is running to it and the mind is running to it. And now that the heart and the mind are close, says the Eretz the mind can input its light into the heart. Again, let me say it again. Now, through Torah study, that the mind and the heart are close, the mind can input its light into the heart. And that's how to align the mind and the heart. Okay, so now let's just review. Let's just review. We said we've got a chicken and the egg situation here. Who's, who's zooming who? Who's running, who's running the show? Is it the heart who's running the show? Is it the mind who's running the show? Like a chicken and the egg thing. Did the egg come first? Well, where did the egg come from? Must have come from the chicken. But where did the chicken come from? It must have come from the egg. So who's running the show? Is it the heart or is it the mind? Who's doing it? Okay. So for starters, the answer is the, the heart is running the show. The heart, if it's not imbued with light, the heart is running the show. And it's telling the mind what to do. A lot of times the mind thinks, so I'm being totally objective. My friend, you're not being objective at all. You are just implementing the directions of your heart, whether you're aware of it or not. Okay, that's, that's square one. But then we say, wait a second, we've got to kind of implement some order in this Wild West situation. Okay, the mind has to be able to take the light and the understanding that it has and it has to be able to input it into the heart so that the mind and the heart, the judges and the police and then the limbs of the body can all be on the same page so that when you think something, you're going to be able to do it. It's not going to be like one of these tragic situations where you know the right thing, but you can't do the right thing. No. All that's going to be gone because the mind and the heart are going to be in the right place. So what's the segula for that? The blessing for that is Torah study because the heart is running to hear the Torah, the mind is running to hear the Torah, and then the mind can input its light into the heart. And then they're on the same page and then you become a coherent, unified human being who's able to enact in the world what their desires are, and their desires at that point are coming from the highest, most exalted place. Okay. So, so that's it. That, that's what we got. <laughs> and and that's, how we can, that's how we can do it. That's how we can do it. That's how we can do it. Now, here's the thing, though. Now that we know that Torah study is the, is, is the key... But now you got to find the right Torah. And this is just me speaking to you, okay? This is me talking right now. You got to find the right Torah. You got to find the Torah that you enjoy learning. You got to find the people that you enjoy learning from. If, if, if Torah is a, a, a tircha, if it's a bother, if it just doesn't make any sense to you, 
if it's just too dry or, or whatever it is. You know, like my, my father of blessed memory, he would say, you know, that's why they have menus in restaurants, because not everybody likes the same thing. Okay, so you've got a lot of different types of Torah. That's why they got menus in restaurants. Not everyone likes the, the same thing, but you got between all the different varieties of Torah, there is Torah for you. And believe me, there's so many wonderful people out there who are teaching. There's so many different access points, you know. You just find someone who's, you know, who's serious about it, right? Who's trying their best to live it. And then you can learn from them, and, and that's the thing. So, so that's the one thing that I would add, to, to really make sure that you're getting the full blessing of this segula, of this power to align the mind and the heart. Make sure that the Torah that you're learning is something that you really enjoy, because, um, because it's out there. Okay. So now, I want to use this as a springboard just to discuss something maybe maybe a little bit deeper and go back to kind of like our everyday lives. And I want to just tell you about an article. I, I read this article several years ago and actually someone just told me that thought I was talking about an article that was just in the newspaper again today um, or a few days ago. So it's interesting to me that, you know, you've got like kind of like social cycles where, you know, like certain topics like become hot again. Okay. So I'm catching it from the last cycle, but I guess it's, um, it's sort of like, uh, kind of like become revived, whatever it is, but you'll hear the point that I'm about to make and, uh, and give me a chance to develop the point because it might not be what you think I'm about to say. Okay. Or what I say when I begin. So I read this article from a woman, I think she was in her 30s, and she's writing a piece, a very strongly worded piece, about how she doesn't have any children, and how she doesn't want any children, and how that's a, perfect accept, a perfectly acceptable thing not to want any children, and you know everyone should really consider this alternative in life, and they shouldn't feel bad about it, and just forget about children. Okay, so, so there you go. And by the way, I know these are personal things and you know, you wanna have kids, you don't wanna have kids, this is for you to decide. That's not my topic right here. I'm just giving you this as an example. Anyway, years later, years later, I just happened to see an article from this person again. And it, it, I don't think this person was a pro prolific writer. I don't think it's, a, she was, certainly was not a columnist or anything like that. It's kind of like a citizen out there. And the, this article, years later, I don't even know how I caught this article. I don't know how I caught the first article, but anyway, I read this article and she said, many years ago, I wrote an article about how I'm never having children and urging other people to join this campaign. And I just want you to know, I'm the happy mother of children, and it was such a good decision, and I'm so glad that I did it. And I thought to myself, ay, ay vey, ay vey, ay vey. 
How many people did she steer with her powerfully worded, passionate article in some direction? And then she changes her mind and it was worked out fine for her. But what about the other people? Okay. That's case number one. And I'm still developing the point here. But let me just make the point just now. But I'm going to give you another example from a slightly different angle. Just because someone writes something down doesn't mean that they themselves are going to believe it the next day. <laughs> I'm going to give you another example. There was a op-ed columnist for the New York Times a number of years ago named Frank Rich. Now, I'll tell you something. In the journalist game, to be an op-ed columnist for the New York Times, this is the top of the top of the top of the top. I mean, you are influencing senators and congressmen and presidents and world leaders and, and you know, Fortune 500 CEOs are all reading what you have to say, your thought pieces about policy and, and society. Really a tremendously influential position. So Frank Rich was one of these uh, op-ed New York Times columnists. And he decided to, um, to, to quit, to go on to the next stage of his career, which, by the way, wildly successful. I don't know if any of you are fans of the TV show Veep or Succession, but he's an executive producer on both of those TV shows. Amazing, amazing to go from an op-ed columnist to be like this multi-top-of-the-field Emmy Award-winning, you know, TV producer of like, you know, super highly regarded shows. But anyway, that's, that's him. But I never really read his column uh, when he was writing it, but he, something caught my eye and he said, it said, I guess, in large letters or something like that, my farewell piece. And I thought, oh, this will be interesting. I, I'd like to read his last piece, as in New York Times op-ed uh, columnist, see what he has to say. And he writes in it different reasons why he's decided to stop being an op-ed columnist for the New York Times. And honestly, I don't remember the other reasons, but there was one reason that just leapt out to me. I thought this was fascinating. He said that being the, the pressure to produce a column, you know, two or three times a week, listen carefully, has caused me to have to have stronger opinions than I actually have. <laughs> Did you hear that? In other words, he has to write a piece, and he's writing for the New York Times. He's writing for top the top 1%, right? And he's got to make persuasive, insightful cases. So you know something? He found himself, over time, arguing things that he himself didn't believe. Or if he believed them, he hardly believed them. Or if he believed them somewhat, he certainly did not believe them to the degree that he was advocating them. And he said, you know, there's something wrong with that. I got, if that's the case, I got to stop doing that. 
Okay, so now let's backtrack a second. So I've given you two examples here. One example is someone who writes a passionate piece, right, and then changes her mind, 180 completely, after having written it. And another example of someone who, while they're writing it, hardly believes what they're writing. Now, I want to contrast that with the Torah. You know, we say Torah emet. Emet in Hebrew, or if the Ashkenazi pronunciation, emes, right? Same word. Fascinating word. It means truth. It means we say that the Torah is truth. Torah emet, the Torah of truth. You want to hear something fascinating about the word emet, truth? It's spelled Aleph Mem Taf. Now there's a special special quality of these three letters. Aleph is the first letter of the Aleph base of the alphabet. Mem is the middle letter of the alphabet. And Taf is the last letter of the alphabet. Which means that the word for truth is beginning, middle, and end. Meaning that ultimate truth is something that was always true is true and will be true. Do do you hear how that contrasts to a column that you read in the paper? Even a passionately worded column that you read in the paper? Where I've given you examples where the people who are writing it themselves change their mind. But not the case with the Torah. The Torah is forever. Torah emet. See, a lot of people get very confused when they learn Torah. They say, where are the references to cell phones? Where are the references to space travel? Where are the references to, like, you know, like all the biotechnology and all the, like, where is it all? So they say it must be an ancient document, and if it's an ancient document, then by necessity it must be outdated. But you have to understand something. The Torah is not, it's not a book. The Torah is the fabric of reality itself. It also exists in book form, but it's beyond just a simple book. You know, like I like to say, if you were to take one letter from the Torah and you were to climb that letter, it would be a thread of light. And that thread of light would take you from dimension to dimension to dimension. And you would see assemblies of angels learning the exact same Torah that we're learning together today. And we know it intuitively ourselves because when God gave us the Torah, our souls flew out of our bodies. And do you know what we saw? We saw that the Torah is not just here on earth, but the Torah is the structure of the heavens as well. So this is the Segula. So we're so lucky, we're so lucky to be able to have this 
this this awesome this awesome 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 resource and you know I'm just thinking about that little girl again can you imagine this little girl standing on the top of the balcony straining to hear the men learning the dafyomi and just just trying to understand one thing and 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 it's true for us as well so maybe you have a strong opinion but you know maybe you're the person who wrote that article metaphorically speaking who's to say that you're going to have that opinion tomorrow allow yourself allow yourself to be flexible allow yourself to be open to something higher you know i think that that's really important i know that one of the big um turning points in in my spiritual journey was realizing that the rabbis understood me better than i understood me <laughs> and and uh because we're biased about ourselves we're, we we are biased about ourselves and we're very self-protective and you know a lot of people like when they first start learning they'll hear something that might be a little bit wild and way out and they react like oh, very instinctively and they go no that's ridiculous no that's not that makes no sense whatsoever you know it may sound ridiculous and it may in fact make no sense but you know what if it was said by one of the enlightened ones of the people of Israel sit with it just sit with it think about it think about it have someone else explain it to you look at some of the commentaries on it perhaps look up the original hebrew of it to 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 understand it in the original and let's just stay flexible in the best way you know we can be stubborn about what works right but we also have to be growth oriented and that's that's one of the great tightrope walks that we have to be able to walk to be able to hold our ground on on things that are holy and true but at the same time stay flexible and open to be able to grow to even a higher level thanks for listening we do this every week so join in again next sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life and review us and send in any comments or suggestions i'd love to hear them